This is season eight of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. I'm D.L. Mayfield. I'm Crispin Mayfield. And this season we're talking about the thorniest, maybe horniest subject we've ever done. Christian romance. Are you ready, Crispin? I don't think I am, but here we go. I'm so excited to talk to you because I like you uh-huh. and we don't get to talk unless we're recording a podcast. That is not true, You're but right. it feels like it's true. But hey, welcome to season eight of the Prophetic Imagination Station. Uh, I'm saying that to you. Right. But yeah. I'm also saying it to the listeners. For a minute there, I was just like, is it seven, eight? It is. It is. I mean, it's seven, eight. <laughs> It is season eight. It is season eight. It says it on our graphic that our friend Zach made for this season, which oh, is truly astonishing. Uh-huh. So I'm going off of the graphic we made several months ago. Um, yeah, season eight. <laughs> it's finally here. The mm-hmm. Christian romance season of the Prophetic Imagination Station. I can't believe we're here. I have done this kicking and screaming with my feet dragging which is interesting we'll get into all of that okay because christian romance is a very complicated topic chris but now i'm gonna be like the showrunner of this of this series uh-huh. um that's terrifying isn't it i'm passing the baton uh-huh um yeah you get to talk about shame and hardcore music and i get to talk about freaking romance books it doesn't quite seem fair but you know we're gonna get into that and so at the end of this episode i'm gonna ask you some questions about your own sort of past with you know growing up in white evangelicalism in the u.s uh romance stuff so we'll get into all that but first hang on first so first we need to set some ground rules about this season okay and i'm not really worried about you crispin even though i'm like glaring at you because i'm looking at you uh-huh i'm more just trying to set expectations for people who are listening okay, okay. uh so you know ground rule number one is that uh we are not going to be making fun of women okay, okay. during this season and women uh you know primarily make up the people who read Uh, genre fiction that is in the romance category and this season really is going to be focusing a ton on books uh, because that is where most of christian romance ends up playing out we'll also talk about some movies Mm -hmm. and uh, a few other things but that's kind of where it hangs out in the pop cultural zeitgeist um yeah so so we aren't going to be making fun of women okay and what women read okay and what women like so we're not gonna be doing anything like that we are gonna understand that it's very 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 complex do you think romance as a genre take the christian out of it like Mm -hmm. what are your first thoughts on it I think of like, you know, quote unquote, trashy novels okay. uh, at the gas station on that little thing that like rolls around, okay. that spins around okay. uh, with some ample bosoms okay. spilling Whoa. <laughs> and okay. some muscular men. That's muscular what I men. think. That's what I like. I, I always thought like romance books uh-huh. were like code for, you know, literary softcore porn. That's or, what like, you thought. Like softcore porn literature. Wow. Okay, so you've already kind of identified why 
I think romance as a genre is pretty stigmatized, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you called it trash. Thank you for that, Crispin. You talked about woman's breasts <laughs> I being quoted. on the cover. <laughs> I said quote unquote trash. Oh, you did say quote unquote. Uh-huh. I know. I'm just making you feel uncomfortable. And you are getting uncomfortable. I can see it. Yeah. Um, before I started researching this season, you know, I think I was just a little bit like, yeah, I know this is a stigmatized genre. I don't know what to think about it because um, I, grew, I grew up in Christian world and I have a lot of extra baggage, I think, to add to this idea of um, romance genre. It just kind of even convolutes it. So a lot of this season is going to be me figuring out my feelings about all these things. So let's just put that disclaimer on there. Can I just say that, like, I just recognize something in my brain, okay, which is like... When I think about genres, I'm just like, oh, they're Christian books. It's like Christian fiction. And like Jeanette Oak and Frank Peretti fall in the same genre. Because in my mind as a teenager, it was like, is it Christian or is it secular? And like Christian books are okay. And I didn't even think about like, these are different types of books. Oh, yes. It's just, you know what I mean? Like it just was like a Christian book to me. Well, I think that's true. And, and it is hard to find statistics when I like try and Google, you know, sales numbers for Christian romance. They don't really have that genre category. It's right. Just I was Christian wondering. Fiction. Mm-hmm. Like are, if you go into a Christian bookstore, mm-hmm. it's not like the romance aisle. Although sometimes there is. I think that I think that is changing now okay. as romance uh, has become the most popular genre in Christian fiction. Mm-hmm. So that has kind of changed since when you and I used to haunt the halls of right. Christian bookstore. Uh-huh. You know, things have changed a little bit. And and we'll get into that later in the season, specifically when I talk to people about Amish fiction, because that's been a huge thing. Okay, so I kind of want people, as they're listening, you know, we, we need to try and leave our assumptions at the door. You You can recognize, like, culturally, you might have some, like, distaste for the romance genre maybe you're somebody who freaking loves romance books and you really don't want to hear that denigrated uh we hear you you know we're here we're here for all types of people if you think they're not great if you love them like we're gonna make space for everybody to have uh to be a part of this conversation okay Mm -hmm. but i also am i'm me okay so i can't like just fully say this entire thing is good. This entire thing is bad. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I am, I have some really kind of intense things to say about Christian fiction in particular. And I don't mean that uh, about like romance in general. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, so I'm going to uh-huh. be making some distinctions. We'll be talking about the overall romance genre a lot, but my criticisms, which will be sprinkled throughout this season and in particular at the end, will all be for the Christian subset. Let me ask you, maybe this is like too complex, like big of a question to ask so early, but is your criticism because of what Christian romance should be? because it's christian or is it because of what it is because it's a subculture yeah here's here's what i'll say i'll say the most the best most beneficial positive subversive anti-capitalist anti-patriarchy inclusive diverse romance like everything that makes romance good I do not see that in Christian. Okay. I thought you were going to be like, the most inclusive is in Christian publishing. And I was like, what? No, no. no. So opposite, (laughs) opposite of that. So like all the 
potential and the actual lived reality of romance being a positive force for women and including women from marginalized communities that don't often get representation, you know, that is all lacking in Christian romance. So that's, that's kind of like my big beef is like, as I've studied it, as I have now a much more complex and nuanced understanding of romance, I'm like, well, none of the things I like are in Christian mm-hmm. fiction. So we'll, we'll get to all that. We'll get to all that. Um, I don't know. I kind of wanted to give you some stats about the romance okay. genre uh-huh. uh, because I'm sure you don't know any of these things. But like, uh, it's a billion dollar industry, okay. and it has like romance as a genre has consistently been like one of the most profitable genres of books since it really came out of the gate in the 70s, right? Mm. Which also interesting is that romance fiction became very popular like right around the rise of like feminism in the 70s and so like historians and scholars have been like oh that's interesting what's that about Mm -hmm. you know because at first blush it seems very much not feminist some Mm -hmm. of this literature Mm -hmm. right and some of the romantic tropes so it's a very profitable industry it's always had a diversity problem not just in christian romance Mm -hmm. but the romance genre up until you know kind of recently it's very dominated by uh, you know white women and uh, just and just some tropes again that can kind of feed into patriarchal thinking, uh, but there's always room, and people have always like played with the conventions, and there's always been places where it has been really subversive. So I thought that was fascinating. Mm. Um, there's not tons of studies on romance, which again is part of the problem, and part of the reason I did feel compelled to do this season is because. We just don't take what women read and what women like seriously. That's mm. never been seen as something worthy of study, of academic pursuit. Um, of course, we'll publish books that sell because we can profit off of women, but mm-hmm. we won't study it. Right. I was going to say that's like a, there, there's a divide there because both of us in publishing know that marketing departments talk about women because they buy books. Uh-huh. Uh, but what you're saying is like the marketing departments are over here and academia is over here and yeah or even in pop culture right and so um mm-hmm. do you know okay just give your best guess what is the basic definition of a romance novel um a like something there a love uh <laughs> hang on <laughs> a love interest that uh, culminates in a uh, in a relationship. Oh, oh my gosh, you're really close. Okay, so the definition is um, there is a central love story and an emotionally satisfying and optimistic ending. Oh, okay. so a happy ending mm-hmm. is the hallmark of what makes a romance book a romance book. Okay, mm. so you can have love stories and it doesn't end happily, and then we would just call that like literary fiction Mm. or adult you know like adult novel like just that kind Uh of stuff right yeah but to be a romance book it has to have a happy ending and i think this is so important to talk about because when we denigrate romance as a genre when we call it trashy when we call it and i'm not picking on you okay Okay. like that's that's like what a lot of people think of it what we're denigrating is the pleasure that women get when they read about good things happening to women right mm-hmm. so i did grow up sort of trying to read some like literary nonfiction that everybody's going on and on about and just kind of overwhelmed at like how bad it is especially to women and so mm-hmm. i can see why romance is just really comforting to people and mm-hmm. it, you know 
it really adds up. There's like two genres. And so romance is the number one bestselling genre within all genres. Mm-hmm. And then the number two is mysteries and thrillers. Mm-hmm. And both of those genres are very predictable, right? Mm-hmm. Romance always has a happy ending. And mystery th- thriller is always solved. Mm-hmm. And so like during COVID times, right? the sales of both of those genres just exploded. Okay. Uh-huh. So romance is trucking along right now. It's very much in the public consciousness. And um, I, I don't know. Do you want to hear some of the romance subgenres? Yes. Okay. I'm very curious. Okay. So here's like the most popular subgenres. Okay. We have okay. contemporary romance. So set from 1950 to present. How... Um, how prevalent is that? Like, I feel like when I think of romance, I think of everything but that. I don't know. I don't, anyway. I don't have the numbers, but that's okay. true. Okay, there's erotic romance. So erotica is written specifically for females about mm. female sexual pleasure. Okay, there's historical romance. There's paranormal romance. <laughs> okay, that's not one I've ever read. There's romance with spiritual elements. Right? I was going to say, is the paranormal romance is that Christian no, romance? it's not. But so we're, we will be focusing in mostly on romance with spiritual elements, what we would call Christian romance. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's romantic suspense. It's like a you know, mystery thriller. And oh. then there's young adult romance, which it continues to grow in popularity. And is your favorite. I think so. <laughs> no, man, you like I think I think you're kind of what you said earlier, right? Is like there is a difference between YA and yeah. young adult romance. I do like I do like young adult romance. I do. Okay, so the the who reads romance books? Okay, it is. Well, do you want to make a guess? Female already, to male on the binary, you know. Spectrum? I already know because I listened to one of the oh, episodes. Okay, so I can't ask you that. So. The average romance reader, they're 82% female okay. and 18% male. The average age. Do you want to guess the average age? And again, uh, I think this is more like a median thing, so it right, won't really yeah. make sense. 35. You're, yes. <laughs> it's actually between 35 and 39 years old, and I am 38. So I'm like, I am a white woman who is 38. Isn't that basically the median age of people that read books, well, that read know. adult but books? So. And, so, and so the ethnicity breakdown, it's 73% white, 12% black, 7% uh, Latinx, 4% Asian. Mm. Uh, and then the sexual sexual orientation is eighty six percent heterosexual. Um, so yeah, I'm like, well, I'm hitting most of those, you know, <laughs> categories. So you're the target audience. I guess I, guess I am. <laughs> um, any surprises there for you? Uh, no. No. Did it say anything about uh, any? No economic. No, no, there wasn't anything about class, but we will get to class in a minute. Okay. So one of the things that was really impactful for me as I was sort of thinking about my own prejudices against the genre, because I don't think of myself as reading a lot of romance, nor do I understand much of romance and what is romantic to other people, but just... Full disclosure. Okay, you're giggling. That is not a surprise to me. Okay, to, okay. Just because I tried to do a lot of romantic things uh, early in our marriage, and Danielle, oh, we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. <laughs> Danielle's like, that is cheesy. That is not romantic to me. Yes, uh, we will get to that in a minute. So <laughs> I'm just saying this is kind of interesting because I, you know, in the process of being diagnosed as autistic, so being neurodivergent, it makes a lot of sense that much of this doesn't work for me but Mm. hey i'm gonna 
take all my little autistic <laughs> skills and find some patterns and and study what other people like and we're going to come to some conclusions okay mm-hmm. but yes i am not the norm in some ways but in a lot of ways i am like the ideal romance reader so one of the things that really stood out to me as i was researching this stuff was <laughs> this thing i found on reddit about bell hooks and i i bring this up in multiple of the interviews i did because it's just stood out to me so much but you know bell hooks who's this like black feminist icon right um and she had what she called like a two-pack a day (laughs) habit of reading harlequin romance novels so harlequin romances they're the ones that you mentioned like they're at gas stations they were at grocery stores right Uh um bodice rippers we would call them like all that stuff Uh and she read them like two a day and she was interviewed by the washington post in 1999 and um she kind of like the cultural narrative happening in the late 90s about why would any self-respecting woman like read these books they're Mm. all fantasy they only set you up for disappointment um (laughs) i'm thinking about like that and then like the angsty acoustic like women playing some music at that time right the little affair yeah Yeah, right they were kind of denigrating yes harley romances Uh right And so this is what Bell Hooks said. She says, um, she reads two a day. And she said, I would credit Harlequin romances as much as I would credit Emily Dickinson as being a factor in my enchantment with words. So like Mm. her being this writer. Mm. And so she was saying like they serve as an important fantasy vehicle that offers an escape route for women trapped in dysfunctional families. Um, And she's like, it's not about the prince saving you at the end. It's about you triumphing triumphing over the obstacles in your life. And it Mm. gives women autonomy. And <laughs> I love this. She, you know, she hated the idea that these books set up people for disappointments because they're happy endings. And she said, only a crazy person doesn't want to be rescued. Um, like, it's really normative for women to want good things to happen to them. Okay. Mm. So the central therapeutic message, she says, in Harlequin romances is that you will not be abandoned. What I am seeking is that love that will not let me down. And I think I just think it's so powerful to say this feminist icon was saying like I reject the idea that women aren't finding something of value in these books, mm, okay? Mm-hmm. And I just I just want to keep that curiosity with me. And then somebody on Reddit, this is like that was obviously 1999. Bell looks past this past year. Um, but somebody on Reddit said this about kind of Bell Hooks and and the books and and their own engagement with books. It says, romance as a genre is a safe haven for so many of us. We come here to know what it is to love deeply and to be loved in return. For marginalized people, especially having a place to land, this inclusive, affirming space is more important than ever. Romance writers have been pushing boundaries for a long time, fighting for a space to tell our stories where women are sexual, black love is cherished, queerness is celebrated, where disabled people are beautiful, and the working class get happily ever afters. And I thought Mm. that was so cool. Like, I don't think that's all of romance books at all, but I think when, when, People from marginalized spaces say there is something really good here happening, and there's a reason why people are drawn to it. Like, mm-hmm. we gotta pay attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? We gotta mm-hmm. pay attention. So, this is helpful for me when I don't always understand, like, what is romantic to people? What is sexy to people? You know, I I understand I don't understand all of it, but I don't think anybody can understand all of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Yeah. And that's why it's a, uh-huh. it's a wide genre. And, uh, 
some people really, really like Christian romance, turns out. Um, it really does it for them. <laughs> and we'll get into all of that. Russian why. romance? Christian. Oh, Christian romance. <laughs> a lot of people are into Christian romance, and it's complicated, and we'll get into that. Uh-huh. Um, why? Okay. I want to take a quick break and okay. say, speaking of trying to understand romance, I watched season two of Bridgerton. <laughs> And you are currently watching it, uh-huh. right? Yep. I'm... What do you think? I skipped season one because I read a synopsis of it and did not think it would be for me. Mm-hmm. But then on TikTok, people were talking about season two. And I was like, well, that kind of sounds more of a jam. Mm-hmm. You know, I like Jane Austen. I like a long smolder. You know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Slow burn, I guess they call it. Um what are you what are you thinking about Bridgerton right now? Yeah. It, I mean it, it feels very Jane Austen-y. Does it? Yeah. Um, I mean it also reminds me of Ten Things I Hate About You. Older sister, you know, that whole mm-hmm. dynamic. Which is the Shakespearean of yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean it is really interesting. I I just I was expecting more of like a this is what happened last season, and I'm just like, you just get dumped in. I do not know what any of this means. Um, I think, like, the different races of the actors, like, mm-hmm. is really interesting. I'm trying to figure out, like, what that means. Um, and so I think that's really cool. Like, I can't tell if that's, like, an intentional, like, we just don't want to cast all white people. Yeah. I, I know so that I – okay, yeah. I was like, I could do some research on this, but this is just, like yeah. – um, But, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And I guess, I mean, I should mention that – as a teenager, I watched the A and E version of Pride and Prejudice more than what once. What is A and E? What do you mean? You mean the BBC? It's actually A and E, which is another production company in in England. But is the one with Colin yeah, Firth? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. just say the Colin Firth one. But <laughs> okay, that's what we're... it's so you... because here's why. Because okay. I've mentioned the BBC version okay. to people that are really intense about it before, and they're like, "Actually, it's A and E." Oh my gosh, you're more in the romance world than I am. Yes. Okay, so so how many times did you watch the Colin Firth one, and how many <laughs> DVDs was it on? Because it's yeah. long. It's yeah, long, right? it was like five hours, and I watched it three times. I feel like I've watched it once or twice with you. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think I watched it before I met you. I don't know. Really? I read Jane Austen and I did like it um, for sure. And I love the movie Emma when it came out. So like now looking back, I'm like, Jane Austen, I swear. I swear every romance book that I really, really like mm-hmm. has one of the main characters appears to be neurodivergent. Mm. Mr. Darcy. Are you kidding me? <laughs> He's so principled. He's so rigid. Uh-huh. But he's actually a little gummy bear in the middle. And that is like me. So <laughs> that's also fascinating. When I read those Jane Austen books, you know, I did not identify with the main female character, which, again, is probably, you know, uh, speaks uh-huh. to me. I mean, I did a little bit in Emma because she's really naive and doesn't understand how the world works. Anywho, so Bridgerton is, like, super popular right now, which mm-hmm. I think speaks to the fact these – and Bridgerton was based off of books, but they do have a much more diverse writer's room for the show. It's produced by Shondaland. Yeah, there's people of all races. I mean, the I think the two of the main female leads this season are both from Southeast Asia, and they're just, like, drop dead gorgeous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I loved it. I really loved Bridgerton season two. So I'm like, I'm not somebody that hates romance. Um but I do have some sort of like parameters for me that makes me enjoy it. I do love a historical piece. I do love when consent is a very big deal. Um, and 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I think the neurodivergence thing, too. I mean, I think that you like shows that where nothing upsetting happens. Oh, so <laughs> right, like it could be um, when I needed to know I had a happy ending. Right. I'm, I'm li- I literally you are the target had audience. To Google because oh. I can't trust TV shows. Right, mm-hmm. I think with the romance books you can trust. Like, okay, it has to have a happy mm-hmm. ending. Right, but you can't trust TV shows. Uh huh. So I do think part of the reason Bridgerton is so freaking popular is mm-hmm. because it does have happy endings for people, and. It is more diverse, right? Mm-hmm. Than we're used to seeing a period piece set in Regency era England. Do you think because of its differences, there's more of a cultural permission to like like it? To say like I watched this and I liked it, and I'm not embarrassed because no, I'm having the opposite reaction because when the first season came out, everybody talked about how much sex there was in it, and so I was like, well, I don't really, lo- I don't really enjoy watching people have sex at all uh, uh-huh. on camera, <laughs> so I did not want to watch it uh, for that. And I still think growing up in like purity culture and Christian, you know, whatever, I don't feel very comfortable publicly saying I like something that has a lot of sex scenes and i'm just being honest right but i'm wondering like culturally people that are not you oh i see <laughs> you know what i mean like i wonder if that's some of the popularity of like you know there's this element of like oh it's different than these other things i don't yeah, know and i think the main thing i heard was because there was so much sex in it and people mm. loved that and uh you know this is just me again being me <laughs> and not understanding the way the world works i've been watching the twitters i've been watching the tiktoks and there's actually this amazing tiktok about this this guy who's actually a black man being like i freaking love bridgerton i freaking love the like long glances and like they almost like connect and then oh something happens he's just like Uh i love it i love it you know and i was like yeah we need more permission for everybody of whatever cultural background orientation race gender to be able to be more honest about what they love about mm-hmm. romance and being drawn to that. And so I, I kind of think that's cool. I think it's a, this is definitely outside of my comfort zone, even mm-hmm. to be like, I love Bridgerton season two. And that is worth being explored. Like, why is that right. so difficult for us to talk about what we like when it comes to romance? So I have, I have lots of thoughts about that. A lot of it is probably tied to my own upbringing, but also yeah. I'm just a weirdo I mean, as no, we've already it, established. Yeah. It is interesting to think about like, where are those love stories that are like i'm thinking of the office and jim and pam mm-hmm. and like that is a really good picture of like everybody is invested right well they want that yeah it's right very, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. but like you're allowed to be like oh yeah i watched the office and i really like it even if the love story is your favorite part maybe i'm just speaking for myself oh <laughs> but, here we go here we go but you know what i mean like it's just interesting to be like how do we frame things and what is uh, what romance are we allowed to like and what are we not allowed to like and- or like what's cool to like and i think men do like romances i Mm -hmm. think you just hit on something right there and just because romances are mostly written by women for women it doesn't mean that men can't you know Mm -hmm. enjoy them and i think they do um but i do think like a woman's pleasure is usually at the forefront right Mm -hmm. of these stories and that's why it appeals to women but i also again i think it does appeal to men too they just don't feel very much cultural permission to talk about that Mm -hmm. so yeah we already talked a little bit about you growing up liking jane austen (laughs) um we're gonna try and talk about this in maybe a patron only episode but like what do you think was like christian romance for 
young men because like i grew up with all the these books we're going to be talking about throughout this this series uh-huh. right i got christy miller books um i'm just blanking on all, all <laughs> of them right now but like uh-huh. Bodie tanny books like all these books that were mostly historical not all of them some contemporary but yeah just four young women four teens that mm-hmm. were very had a romance that was very chaste of course um but what about for young men? I don't know. Because if I had known, I would have been into it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is what I did. Okay. I uh, watched A Walk to Remember often. Okay. Um, and and like a few other things. But it it just, it kind of felt like I didn't know. Like if there had, if I, if there had been more romance, I would have you know, watch or read it. Because you were a very romantic boy, right? Mm-hmm. You were very yes. into romance. You were very, you really wanted to fall in love, right? I did, yes. Uh-huh. All that stuff. Did you find some of that in music or not really? Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. Like, I would just like, I mean, I was thinking about how I would just like walk around at night listening to like Dashboard Confessional and like yes. feel all my feelings. Um, but the other thing for me, um, I had like um, uh, these Christian... Rome, sorry, these Christian like dating marriage, like yes. courtship books, yes, right? Yes, 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 yes. So, like, whatever the follow up was to I Kiss Dating Goodbye, When God Writes Your Love Story, like these things about like it, it's actually like here's the way you're supposed to date or you know how you're supposed to get together. And a lot of that would be like them telling this story. And so I would just like read about that and fantasize about that, like about Josh Harris and his wife, like yeah, that kind of uh-huh, stuff. right? And that is so fascinating because I do think. I do think that Christian romance honestly falls into two categories. One is the like romance fiction genre. And then the other is like the Christian living self-help. Like here's how to get a godly wife or Mm -hmm. husband and what to do to get married. So I definitely think you're right that for boys and men, mostly what you guys had was like every man's battle. Like here's how Mm -hmm. to not look at pornography. Here's how, you know, wild at heart, right? Here's how to be a godly man and get a lady to fall in love with you. I guess I didn't Mm -hmm. read any of those books. So I don't know, but I think it's interesting that you had to turn to music primarily to have your romantic needs met. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you had these like self-help books that, I don't know. Do they right. really help yourself? What well, do you think? <laughs> here's a description of uh, When God Writes Your Love Story by Eric and Leslie Ludi. When God Writes Your Love Story shows that God's way to true love brings fulfillment and romance in its purest, richest, and most satisfying form. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's the same thing of, like, what women that are reading romance are longing for. Right? Are they? I think yeah, so. Like, sure. you want... Like, I think that satisfaction, like... The richest and most satisfying form, right? You want something like real and passionate, and like that's and that's like what they're. None of those people seemed very passionate. I read all those books, and all of it was just dull, dull, <laughs> dull as tombs. I think for me, it was like, oh, if I can just be good enough, oh. if I can be like, like I would be such a good husband if someone would just give me a chance. Well, I'm fishing for a compliment yeah, right say, now. You weren't wrong <laughs> because. I think you're an amazing husband, but it is funny to think about how different we were. You grew mm-hmm. up with these, you know, romance things. And it's not like I didn't like romance at all. I just couldn't 
see it ever working out for me. Um, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, I only, if I had a crush on somebody, it was somebody that like, it would never work out. And I would be friends with guys until they professed their love for me. And then I would be done with them forever. And, and you were the first person I ever dated, you know, you're the mm -hmm. first and only person I've ever dated or kissed all that stuff. But I do remember, so we met at Bible college and you would try and set up these like romantic things, like these picnics. And you were always, the music was always very important to you. And so uh -huh. you would bring like a boom box with iron and wine and it would be in the sunshine. And you just want to like lay there and like gaze at me. And I was like, this is boring and weird. <laughs> and I probably wanted to be off on a walk talking to you about whatever intense thing I was reading about. Right. And so it is very funny. Like, not everybody's the same and right. that's okay and i'm sorry that i didn't like <laughs> your romantic things and you still you still trying to get me to listen to records with you you're mm -hmm. very sweet i've changed a little bit right mm -hmm. i'm more comfortable with mm -hmm. romance and, and showing affection and all that but there's some <laughs> eye uh, contact some eye contact um, <laughs> you used to just glare at me <laughs> all the time that's the only way i knew how to interact she thought it was being flirtatious i did think i was flirting well, we know so much more about me now, don't we? And it all worked out. And um, there's some really good things that I ended up discovering. And I'm going to have to save this for another episode. Okay. Uh, you know, all the things that an autistic, religious young woman didn't learn um, because I only read Christian books. So that's that's another fascinating oh, thing. Mm -hmm. I can I can show some gaps in, in all that. So, I mean, we grew up in this little bubble where we were trying to figure out what romance looks like while we're trying to figure out hormones what we're trying to figure out how to like find somebody to love us right mm -hmm. and i think you ended up becoming an attachment therapist which is really beautiful <laughs> you know you're somebody mm -hmm. that always had this longing for romance and to find somebody and to be fully loved and to fully love somebody else and i just think that's really cool um we will get into like the weird thing about Christian romance in particular is that it wasn't just about guy meets godly girl. They get married. They also bring in this element of a relationship with God. Okay. Because <laughs> like, that was my question. I was like, when I think of like Christian romance, I'm like, isn't it just like the Hallmark Channel? Like in the sense of like, it's just like a love story like everything else, except there's no sex and there's no diversity. <laughs> I mean, the, that is what makes it like a Hallmark Channel movie. Okay, but there is an actual extra element yes. of, oh, okay. Yes, of the character, the female character having a relationship with God hmm. and usually it becoming strengthened, right? Okay. Through trials and um, all that stuff. And and women readers, and, and I we talk about this in some of my interviews this season, um, you know, women readers who read Christian romance say they view it as like a devotional reading. They mm. end up feeling closer to God when they read these books, right? And so mm -hmm. that is not what people say when they read regular romance books. Okay, <laughs> let's just put that out there. And people re mostly read regular romance books because they find it titillating. Mm -hmm. You know, as one huge element mm -hmm. of it. Well, I think that hits on what I was saying earlier, which is like, in my mind, it's just, it's a Christian book. And the goal of Christian fiction, just like Christian nonfiction, is to bring you closer to God. But it also sets up some interesting um, 
ideas about romance and male-female relationships and what a happy ending is, right? Mm. So happy endings in regular romance involves uh, female pleasure and female pleasure being prioritized Mm. and having a man usually, right, who is obsessed with the happiness of their female partner. It's not always, you know, it's like... In Christian romance, it's God's pleasure. (laughs) That's I mean, a phrase kinda, that John Piper I mean, uses kinda, all it's the like time. God's plan. You obeyed God and you yeah. did God's plan. And now I, you know, I just want to say, like, I'm not trying to be I'm trying not trying to be dirty here. That's what John Piper talks about all the time. God's pleasure. Right. You should find some John Piper pleasure quotes for our next episode. <laughs> Okay. But it does get sticky. But I will say the hallmarks for me from of Christian fiction from what I can see is uh Yes, happily ever after is there, right? Mm-hmm. And you and there is a love story there, so that's the same. But then you have this added element of it is squeakity clean, squeakity clean, mm-hmm. okay? And then God is a part of the plot, and obeying God and being obedient to God and what God desires is is very important in most of these books um and you know we'll get into this but the most popular you know subgenres within christian romance are things like amish romance biblical historical fiction um historical fiction like around world war ii all this stuff and where the patriarchy is alive and strong mm. and a lady who like submits to a godly man within the patriarchy is going to have like the best life possible so and you're telling me that's problematic well <laughs> <laughs> and i think there's a reason why i did not identify with most of these books you know uh-huh. what i mean yeah. so uh so so we'll get into all that so i don't know is this gonna be a simple season crispin no how do you feel i'm excited i am i've been i've listened to three episodes so far since i'm on the editing side and it has just been amazing um i've loved all of them um I love uh, looking at like some of what we're looking at this genre, but also looking a little bit at um, quote unquote romantic relationships in the Bible and also just like narratives around women in the Bible Mm -hmm. and like how that compares and contrasts. Um, And so I'm very excited about that. Um, You just talk to some amazing people yeah and it maybe it seems like i'm gonna be just like poo-pooing on all christian romance and i'm not gonna be doing that either but i have some very huge concerns about the way it upholds patriarchy the way it upholds whiteness and the way it upholds like an idealized white christian version of america in particular and how this has like overtaken the white evangelical woman's like romantic imagination like we've got to talk about that it sounds like you are not um you're not poo-pooing on romance you're poo-pooing the ways that white you need to stop saying (laughs) poo-poo i know i started that (laughs) let's say denigrate okay Okay, there we go i just want to say shitting on oh but there were we're a christian podcast it sounds like you are not denigrating romance you are denigrating the ways that whiteness and white nationalism and uh white supremacist christianity has infected romance yes and is that an okay way to put it and i would say as i as part of my you know, big plan with this season was to reread 
some of these Christian romance books that sold millions and millions and millions of copies have just never been studied, never been talked about, but I believe had a huge part to play in shaping the political imagination of white Christian women mm. who we know, you know, are voting for the Republican Party, who are doing horrific things in the name of their faith. And uh, so I'm like, yeah, I think a lot of Christian romance books are really the story of you know, white Christian women falling in love with Christian nationalism. And mm. like, I'm not here to say that's okay. So mm -hmm. let's right. go. Let's get into it. All right. Great place let's to start. Get into it. I'm so excited to get going on this season. We'll be rolling these out every other week. We talk to a lot of different people. And they're also smart and so cool. And also, we're going to be doing some fun stuff for our patrons, mm -hmm. uh, watching some Christian romance movies, uh, talking through stuff. I think Christian and I might do like a get a little more in depth about our weird uh, Christian romantic escapades with other people with each other. So that would be <laughs> fun. Um, but yeah, thanks everybody for listening, supporting. Please share about the podcast if you're into it. And we also on our website, propheticimaginationstation.com. Mm -hmm. You can go and leave a voicemail. We'd love to hear from people. We want to start putting uh, snippets of people's stories up into these episodes. Uh, my dream is to have people just like recap or retell one of the Christian romance books they read when they were growing up. Because some of these are so unbelievable. I can't read them all. I can't discuss all of them. But if you read a real weirdo you know a real weird book growing up like <laughs> leave us a voicemail. Tell us what it was like. Um and yeah, tell us your funny Christian dating stories. Send us anything you want. And uh, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, and we're going to try and be better about updating those things. This has been an episode of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and send us emails at propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. You can join our Patreon community for as little as $1.50 a month for more discussions of evangelical media and the occasional virtual hangout. You can find show notes and transcription of this episode at our website, propheticimaginationstation.com. If you've enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes. And lastly, between the two of us, we've written a few books. You can find Danielle's latest book, Myth of the American Dream, and Crispin's book, Attached to God, wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening.